Welcome to Revere Asset Management's Your Money with Danny Stewart. The market will always overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And Don Vandenborg. Because it's not how much you make in the markets, it's how much of that you can keep. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy 2024 from Revere Asset Management. Hope you guys are doing well. We just wanted to, boy, what a difference a day makes, or actually a few days, three or four days in a row. So the market had a big run, a big Santa Claus rally, and I think we had, well, I don't know, 11, 12 days in a row that was up without a single down day. But but we did have a nice run for a month, and, and when you get a nice solid run like that, just three days of pullback, and granted it was pretty ugly on the NASDAQ, it feels like a crisis, feels like, oh my gosh, you're in a bear market again, or is it a correction? What, what, is this just a single-digit healthy pullback, a consolidation and continuation of the uptrend, or is this something different? We're going to get into that. We're going to dive deep into that in just a few minutes and, and talk about what the markets are telling us. But first, I want to talk about a couple different kind of articles that I found. I, the show notes this week only have... A couple of articles. Normally, I put a whole bunch uh, that I find over the week. It's been a pretty busy week, but also a lot of more of the forecast of 2024. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. They've got no idea, and their batting average is 50-50. It's a coin toss. So I didn't want to bore you with the for forecast because we've been beating up, up the forecast so much uh, uh, recently. I thought I'd move into something different. Now, this is a very interesting article. The title is The Biggest Threat to Your Retirement Portfolio, colon, then it gives the answer. So I want to ask the peanut gallery, I want to find out what the peanut gallery thinks. What is the biggest threat to an investor's retirement portfolio? Don, you're the senior PM. So let's start with Don. Don, what do you think? Based on the way the market acted last year, I would say inflation, especially Ooh. considering people on a on a fixed income uh, or with annuities that aren't indexed to inflation, you can really get uh, hit hard. That was a great answer. I actually thought Don would say not following your rules, but I like that one too. Inflation's good. Mike, what do you think? Missing the 10 best days of the year. <laughs> Woo, That's I'll sarcasm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Eric sarcasm. Because um, um, they always say that. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. They're right. Uh, Connor, what do you think? Uh, not having a stop loss, not cutting Ooh. losers, and letting them turn to big losers. Taking big losses, folks. Compounding works both ways. If you lose big, it takes a lot longer to recover. So if you keep your losses small, it's easier. It's also smoother for emotionally. Behavioral finance, I'm telling you, you take big losses, it, it wears on your brain and it makes it tougher to be a, a, a relaxed investor and, and smoother. So a lot of times you want to smooth it out a little bit. Teddy Bull, what do you think? Over diversification. Over diversification. That's a good one, too. Well, the answer on this article, the biggest threat to your retirement portfolio, and he's talking about in retirement, mild dementia. That's why I put this in here, because this is a good one, and it's actually a very well-written article. I'm quickly going to hit the highlights. Self-directed investors should take appropriate steps to protect their assets 
But if they become disabled, uh, uh, but and if they, they 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 cover their risk for becoming fully disabled or, or passing away with their uh, wills and trusts and estate documents, but they ignore the early threat the threat of early dementia when you first you haven't lost your memory yet, just your judgment. And so your uh, your strategy needs to entail something to help you uh, from you losing your your judgment and emotional control. So it says um, real quick. I'm just going to hit this. Uh, you you have you lose your impulse control and your judgment, and that's actually a very good argument. And he's basically saying. You may want to bring a POA, power of attorney, in the investment process while you're functioning well. While, well, first of all, if you see early signs, you ought to do something anyway. But even before that, even before you have problems, you may want to have somebody else to be a backup in case you realize that. And also make your doctor an ally. This was a very good uh, article talking about how physicians are kind of slow to react and tell people, when the first starting to happen, number one, it's hard to recognize, but number two, you're you're telling people bad news and you're starting to strip some of their their independence, whether that be driving or whatever it is. You start, and so it's an uncomfortable conversation. So usually, it's a lagging. The doctor is a lagging indicator, right? And so that's why that's important. Anyway, it's a good article to read if you want. Um, the second one is if you thought three times leveraged ETFs were a tiger by the tail, now they've got 4X, literally four times ETN promissory notes. And we're going to Vegas, baby. Now, haven't they already tried that? They tried that a few years ago and they shuttered them all because they just didn't, they were too hard to handle. Now, I will say my thoughts, I think the house, the, the, the issuers are going to make all the money. But when they did try it before, they all got shuttered very quickly. Now, the ticker, surprisingly enough, is not triple X, not X rated, quadruple X, XXXX. That's the four times uh, ETN exchange traded note. Now, here's what you've got to remember about ETNs versus ETFs. I'm not going to go down a whole nother rabbit hole, but an ETF, an exchange-traded fund, normally, not always, but almost always, owns the underlying. So they own the stocks in the S&P, or they own futures contracts on the S&P. It's not just a promise by Credit Suisse, or I don't know, Lehman Brothers. Lehman Brothers had some promissory notes and some structured notes on bonds in 2008. Investors lost 100% of their money because Lehman went belly up. The ETNs were not backed by anything except the full faith and credit of Lehman's. If you have an ETF where you own the underlying futures contracts on the ETF or the ETN, which most ETNs don't do, then you've got some, some collateral. The best way I can think about it is it's either a secured loan or an unsecured loan. So if I just lend somebody money with the promise to pay me back, but he hadn't signed over his car title or his house or some kind of asset, if he can't pay me back, what am I going to do? However, if he goes bankrupt, declares bankruptcy, I'm wiped out. Now, 
if I've got a title to his house or his car or something, I can sell that car and get my money back. But in any event, um, I'm not saying that all ETNs are bad. I'm just saying you need to realize that they are different and they're short-term trading strategies normally anyway. Also, if the markets get really, really bad, if you have a, a bear market like a, a 2008, that's extremely bad bear market. But if you've got a bad bear market and they're starting to talk about, you know, especially banks and the financial uh, companies in trouble or struggling, I would not use an ETN, even if it's a short selling ETN to hedge because the market's going down. Because if that ETF provider goes bankrupt, your short doesn't work. Okay. So just be aware of that. But these ETFs, ends these four times etns you really 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 got to know what you're doing to use those so i would i would stay away from those if i were you and i think those are dangerous anyway that article is also printed on the show notes and with that by the way i guess everybody was busy reviewing their stuff or just very busy we didn't have any mailbags this week i guess everybody was celebrating christmas in the new year but with that, I do want to go dive right into the markets. I do want to make this more of a market-centric show because a lot of people are a little bit scratching their head because the market from December to this first week in January seems to, feels like, emotionally feels like, it has changed character significantly. Is that true? Or is that, or is it too early to know whether that's true? Or is that just our emotional feeling? And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Don. Don, what say you? It depends on your time frame, Dan. That's why we, uh, every night in the videos, talk about the three time frames that we assess the overall health of the market against. And that dictates how aggressive or defensive we are far as allocating client portfolios. So here's the S&P 500. You can see very strong uptrend for two months, started with the follow through day on November 1st. Then everybody started talking about the Santa Claus rally, which is the last five days in January in the first, or sorry, last five days in December, the first two in January. Uh, that ended up not working out so well as the average gain during that seven uh, day period is 1.3% ended up down uh, almost to pursuing that period. So uh, really it was a situation where it was front run ahead of time. There was a bunch of profits accumulated in stocks during this two month run. Some people put off taking profits in those to the beginning of the year so they could delay the tax bill uh, by a year. And what we saw, if you've been following the videos, is a lot of uh, winners from the last two months just being sold and that money rotating into more defensive uh, issues. Let's go to a 30 minute chart here and you can see this big move up here started on December 13th. The last leg of this move up started on December 13th with the Fed and Jerome Powell signaling that they had planned rate cut uh, next year. Uh, and then we, we start way higher. We had, had one shakeout and then still continuing. And the definition, definition of an uptrend is higher highs and higher lows. And that's what we were getting during this period leading into Christmas. Uh, and then the last day of the year, uh, we didn't make a higher high. And then the first three days of this year, we've been making lower highs and lower lows. So that just means on an ultra short term, uh, 
time period, we're in a downtrend. But if you step back and take a look at the daily chart, we're just sitting at the 21-day uh, moving average, and we're well above the 50-day moving average. So sitting on the drawing line, the dividing line that we use for our short-term uh, trend, well above the medium-term trend, well above the long-term trend. That's the S&P 500. The NASDAQ 100 has been weaker. It's below the uh, short-term 21-day moving average. And we also broke below on small caps on Tuesday, struggled to get back above. We tried getting back above uh, on Thursday and failed, tried getting back above today on Friday, and so far we failed. So we're seeing some very, very clear short-term weakness and it's in the growth names that are highlighting that weakness, the names that uh, people locked gains in uh, on last week and started to sell uh, early this week. This is a picture of the Russell 2000 growth uh, ETF. So across the uh, medium term and long term time frame, we're fine. Uh, across the short term time frame, we're struggling a little bit. And something I want to point out. Uh, on the S&P 500, uh, what we've seen the last two days is morning strength, but that broke down into afternoon weakness. And that's what, we're, that's what we saw on Thursday. Thursday was uh, kind of disappointing because after four days down in a normal market, you're due for a bounce. And we got that bounce early Thursday in the morning, and then it failed uh, badly in the afternoon. Uh, jobs report came out this morning and it was perceived as uh, stronger, but this is a case where strong economic news is being perceived as weak as we initially gapped down, uh, but then uh, some buyers came in right after the open. I, I watched a couple of analysts on TV talking about it and really most of the jobs that were added were government jobs, <laughs> private uh Private jobs were really not that strong, and they also revised lower prior months, which seems to be uh, kind of typical. But uh, we we don't invest based on information that that like that that comes out a jobs report. We invest based on the action to that jobs report. So the initial move, as I said, was a spike down before the open. Uh, we opened up about flat. What looked like they were losses uh, got regained into the open, but when you're down four or five days and then you see another gap down the R uh, that you'll reverse to the upside. And that's what we've done in the morning. But as uh, we're a little after noon Eastern time here on Friday uh, and starting to show a little bit of uh, a rollover in the indexes, but it's, in, it's important that we hold that 21 day moving average on the S&P 500, which is right around the 4690 level, uh, regain it on the NASDAQ 100, that's the uh, uh, 400 level. And the reason we want to regain that is because those big weights and those big tech stocks also carry over to the S&P 500. And if they're just too weak, they're going to drag the index down. The two biggest index names are Apple, which is all the way down to the 200-day moving average. This has had several downgrades uh, this year because of a lack of sales growth, maybe finally catching up to it. Uh, I know everybody loves Apple. People are never want to, you know, their shares pried out of their uh, hands. But if we break the 200-day moving average, that puts Apple in a long-term trend. 
And if we break this 165 level, that's a, a level of support uh, that we don't want to peer. This and the reason I'm focusing on this is because of the big uh, impact that this has to the overall indexes. Microsoft pretty much just as big uh, of an impact. These are almost three trillion dollar companies. Uh, Microsoft holding up okay on a price basis, but if you look here, the relative strength has been lagging uh, since the end of November. And that's kind of what we saw. These big, these bigger names started lagging throughout the month of December as money rolled into the more names. Uh, but those were the those more growthy names were the ones that were sold as the calendar rolled over to 2024. I got a list of 25 of them uh, that broke their 21-day moving average decisively. That's the bad news. The good news is if you look at a weekly chart, they bounced at the 10-week moving average, and I've been detailing this in the videos all week. Uh, so again, got, got to look at multiple time frames. On a weekly, we're fine. On a short-term 21-day, uh, we're seeing weakness. Uh, only two of those 25 have regained their 21-day moving average. The other ones are trying to put in a bottom and form a base, but we'll be monitoring those 25 very closely because they were responsible and they've got good uh, for a lot of the gains in November, December, and they've got very good growth numbers. Uh, growth stocks in a healthy market should lead. If these can't lead, uh, then what we saw the first couple of days is money rotating, in, uh, rotating into more defensive sectors like uh, medical, staples. Uh, those can't, those typically don't lead a market. There are some there is some growth uh, as part of the medical sector, obviously with biotech being included in there, but uh, staples won't lead a market higher. We need financials to hold up uh, and we need uh, growth stocks, the RG8. That's why we created the RG8, uh, Revere Growth 8 uh, index after some underperformance in-house in 2021 when the indexes looked fine, but growth stocks started coming apart because of rising interest rates. So uh, we're ever mindful of how that uh, sector of the market, mid cap, small cap, and smaller large cap growth is working because that's really the pond that we fish in uh, to get gain, outsized gains versus the indexes when the market uh, is, in, is in our favor. And right now it's gone out of favor, at least on the short term uh, for the first week of uh, 2024. I know you've got some questions from on that, Dan. Uh, actually, that was very good. I actually, the, I only really have a comment. Yes, the unemployment numbers kind of came out stronger, or at least it's perceived as being stronger. But when you do look under the hood, number one, it's mostly government jobs, which a government job is not equal to a private sector job because it takes eight or ten private sector taxes, jobs from the income from those tax to pay the government job the government salary government salaries comes from our taxes so it's not the same it's not doesn't have the same expansive effect but more importantly the participation rate they dropped the participation rate they took people off the rolls looking for job because think about all these layoff things you've been reading a lot of tech companies are laying off lots of people so how did the unemployment rate tick down they went they took the participation participation rate from 62.8, I think, to 62.4, 62.5. And even though that only sounds like three or four tenths of a percent, when you're talking about tens of millions of people, that actually has a number. 100,000 to, I mean, that actually turns out to be a number. And by the way, the jobs report, did you know the margin of errors in the six figures over 100,000? 
Sometimes the margin of error is bigger than the number itself, but I digress. Anyway, uh, so Don, on the markets, you did see a rotation in, in, in um, biotech or pharma, like Eli Lilly and a couple others, but are there any other sectors looking good, like real estate? or where, I mean, what, are, what, are, what other areas are you looking at relative to tech? Uh, we're, we're primarily focused on how uh, software and uh, semiconductor companies are handling this pullback. Two of our uh, positions that we've had for AMD, which is holding uh, above the 21-day moving and, and NVIDIA, which reclaimed the 21-day moving average today. So uh, these are the companies that we're focused on. Again, they've got massive sales growth, massive earnings growth in a healthy market they should lead. Uh, so we're looking to these names. Uh, CrowdStrike is another one that undercut but reclaimed the 21-day moving average today. Those are uh, three of our biggest holdings. And they're not oversized. They're half-size positions because the market uh, isn't cooperating right now to where we want to take a full-size position. Uh, in any of these names. The only uh, full-size name that we have is Lilly, which had a very strong move above 600. Lilly and NVO, those weight loss drugs, uh, uh, some more positive data about them came out. And um, so Lilly is our biggest position right now. Uh, but again, we use that 21-day moving average as a, as a key level to watch. Uh, and a lot, of the, a lot of the names that we have, we got stopped out on early this week as they broke the 21. And like I said, only uh, two of that, two of the 25 have regained it. One of them being Snow, uh, which we have a small position in too. And that's actually sitting right on the 21. When you run into the declining 21 and you fail, that's a signal that the market's not ready uh, for that particular name to take off to the upside. You see that very often once you break the 21 and it rolls over, you rally back up into it and fail. It's a, a sign to be wary of. And uh, is so that we want to see these names reclaim the twenty one? Is that pink line? That's the eight EMA. That's the pink? eight day exponential moving okay. average. Okay, so folks, if that eight day is da pointing down, it's got a negative slope and it's very negative. That means short term momentum is accelerating and it's it's going to continue. Well, most likely it's going to continue selling off for the next few days. If that pink line is flattening out that means selling is dissipating and it's it's easing off same thing with the green same thing with any of these lines but the green line the 21 ema you can see how it was slanting down and now it just looks like it might be flattening out so the slope of the line and the rate of change of the slope of the line the the the, the second derivative of the of the slope is really important to kind of help you with that uh, short term momentum all right, Don, well, what have the guys got for us today? Uh, let's go to Connor first. He's got a couple of tickers he wants to uh, analyze. Yeah, <clears throat> just a uh, tough start for tech and growth this year. So I kind of wanted to talk about a sector that has been showing some relative strength, and that's healthcare. If you pull up XLV, Don, this is the healthcare ETF. And if you zoom out to the weekly, it's trying to uh, break out of a huge weekly base. So, and it is early into the year, the first week, but clearly money flowing into healthcare a bit. And when you look at that weekly base, and this is how relative strength works. Um, some groups are gonna be in favor sometimes, and then others will spend that period basing. So last year, XLV spent majority of the year basing, and maybe if it can break out above that 140 level, um, 
it could ignite some fire for the healthcare names. And when you look at some individual tickers like Amgen, AMGN, this is an old name. Um, I'm sure everyone knows it from William, William O'Neill trading it, but this is breaking out as well. Um, this has been showing huge RS all week and it's kind of clearing that left side top and it's coming against that uh, 300 Livermore level. So that's a strong one. And then you got MRK, this is Merck. This cleared the 200 day moving average um, and it's trying to break out of a stage one cup. As you can see, it looks uh, looks quite good. And then the last one is Eli Lilly, which um, is owned in-house. And this is the leader for the weight loss drugs. Tap 600 this week, but it's been setting up a really nice base on the weekly and the daily. So um, holding above 600 is a good sign. And although, you know, healthcare names aren't our focus, but it's really important to watch where money's flowing because if you see healthcare getting a bid, um, sure you can play it, but it's not gonna give you as great returns as growth. But this could just tell you that um, people are rotating into safety names and that can give you a feel for the market. And I just wanted to touch up on my segment two or three weeks ago. This kind of ties into RS. I talked about regional banks and XLF, how they weren't leading RS names. Um, and they're breaking above the 200 day and coming around. And now um, when, you, when you go through the sectors, XLF, KRE are two of the strongest sectors. So there's always gonna be rotation in sectors. And that's something we talk about in-house is, you know, when you look at the MarketSmith um, industry group ranks, if you see the number one industry group, that doesn't necessarily mean you wanna buy. You wanna be in that group as it works its way up into that number one. And we kind of, we kind of found that like if you catch a leading name and say that you know the twenty to thirty to forty rank, then you then you trend as it comes back into the number one rank. That can be a great way to get into a leading theme sector. Connor, yeah, that's a great, great point. By the time in, yeah, the individual names in there are going to lead uh, the sector. Good point. Yeah, and I, I want to jump in on that because, because like an IBD uh, lore, you know, they always a lot of people tell you to focus on the top fifty subgroups. You know, they've got almost yep. two hundred subgroups. They tell you to stay in the top fifty, but really, we found it much more helpful is if you keep a you keep the weekly moving averages of the jockeying position. So I'd rather have something that's number seventy. That was 140 a few weeks ago, and last week was 90, and now it's 70, and it's moving into the top 50. Then something that's 30 mm -hmm. that was one, like Connor said, or even five, and then 15, and now it's 30, and big money is moving out of it. So you got to pay attention of the direction that subsector is moving. Is it moving up in position, or is it moving down? It's not just the top 50 subsectors. I want the subsectors that are moving into the top 50. Okay, Don. Good stuff. Let's go to He's got some chart. So last time I did breath was about two, three weeks ago in that we were in the midst of the rip roaring rally, this nine week rally that hasn't been seen since 2017. Coming into 2024, as we talked about Don and Connor, 
Um, we are pulling back here a little bit, and there are some warning signs in some of the breath indicators we look at, but overall, it's still quite healthy, um, nothing too much of concern. This, these first series of charts are the net highs and lows, the New York Stock Exchange on the left, and then the NASDAQ's on the right. So as you can see, in this nine-week rally, we saw the highest net highs numbers, and that on this pullback, we are still maintaining net high numbers, and that's precisely what we want to see. What we don't want to see is that if we continue pulling back and we start to see blood red again, like those previous pullbacks and corrections um, on the left side of the chart. The bottom chart is the cumulative net highs and lows. As you can, as you can see, I circled three instances of where the price is crossing the 50-day moving average. The previous two rallies failed at the 50-day. Right now, we crossed back above, and we want to see this hold above and continue moving higher. If you can go on, Don, I have the NISI and the NASI side by side in the next series of charts. As you can see, part of the nine-week rally, we had this super strong uptrend. The RSI for both charts were pretty much almost at 100, and that's, that's quite rare. And now in 2024, we're hooking down, which is the first indication that we want to be less aggressive, maybe position size a little smaller, look to take some profits off the table. Um, and pre prepare for a potential pullback, which we're getting now. What we don't want to see here, though, is the NASI and NISI breaking below the 10-day moving average. And in a way, even though these are secondary indicators, we've studied this a lot in the past, and a break below the 10-day is usually a quote-unquote, um, like a buy, buy switch off. Continue on, another indication that we were potentially getting overheated, which is playing out right now, is that the percentage of stocks above the various moving averages were extremely overbought. In the S&P 500 on the left side, the percentage of stocks above the 50-day, the, the topmost um, line, almost hit 100% above um, the 50-day. We're probably around 98-ish right now. And for the NASDAQ, as you can see, we're at the top of the range as well. And so this pullback will give these overbought kind of indicators a some chance to revert to the mean that allows us to cool off sentiment a little bit and then potentially make a move back higher once we find some stabilization. And finally, the last three charts is sentiment um, as I go through when I do breath. The first one is the CNN fear and greed. And just at the top, we see that we hit extreme greed and stayed there for a couple weeks. And now we're cooling off a little bit back into the greed territory. And ideally you want to see that come into neutral or even fear but with price finding support and leaders continue higher. AAI is on the bottom left. We're still pretty bullish here, but this got released this Thursday, so it doesn't really factor in everything that's kind of transpired this last week. And then finally, the NAM number, we hit over 100 and we dropped back into the 70 range, which is good to see. Yeah, good stuff. These peaks, I mean, th this is... Very, it's very reliable from a sentiment standpoint when yeah. you see these uh, peaks get at extremes that, um, you know, when, you, when you're extended, you know you're going to pull back. The question is when, and sometimes it just mm -hmm. takes these extreme readings to trigger that pullback. Yeah. Thanks, and Ted. With these sentiment, oh, and with these sentiment readings, I saw in the news too, like CNBC, various articles saying, when is this rally, like how long can this rally go, rip, roar, and rally, all these signal words that kind of reflect the current sentiment of the market and its participants. And 
we like we like seeing those as contrary indicators on the upside and downside. All right, thanks, Ted. Let's go to Mike now. Mike's got a couple of uh, books that he wants to bring to the audience's attention. I do. So it's ni nice to be back. Uh, and for the new year, in spirit of the new year, I wanted to do something a little different that I haven't done before, which is talk about some books. Um, my New Year's resolution, or one of them, almost every year is to read more. There's just so much information and so much knowledge and wisdom that you can learn from books. So highly recommend uh, everyone put that on their list and, and read more. It's one of the best things you can do for your life. And in our business, there are some incredible books to learn about investing and to really get into the mindset of successful traders and investors and understand what they did and what better way to learn than from people who've been really successful at what you want to do. And to begin with, one of the books that you'll probably hear most traders talk about and most investors mention is this one here called Market Wizards. And if you haven't heard of it, highly suggest getting getting a copy and, and looking into it. It's um, it's by Jack Schwager and it's interviews with top traders. And what this book does is it goes through pretty much every major investor and trader you've ever heard of, the Wall Street legends. And Jack interviews them and really gets into their mindset to understand what they do, what their rules are, how they got into trading, how they develop their strategy. And if you read this a couple times, you'll definitely get some, some really great rules that you can in, implement into your own strategy and, and really understand the mindset of, of what makes these, these great traders perform. And I mean, even in this, this version I have, you've got, you've got William O'Neill in here. Uh, I'm sure most of our audience has heard of Bill O'Neill. We've also got David Ryan. So highly, highly recommend Market Wizards if you haven't heard of that one. And then a second book, I'm going to go through three. A second book is this one called One Up on Wall Street. And this guy, Peter Lynch, is an absolute legend. And if you haven't heard of him, just so you know, during the period of 1977 to 1990, he ran a fund, uh, a mutual fund at Fidelity called the Magellan Fund. And what he did over that 13 year period, he averaged returns of 29.2% a year. And that was double the S&P's return. So he doubled the performance of the market in his mutual fund. And that 13 year stretch, I believe is the greatest performance of any mutual fund manager in, in the history of the market. So highly recommend following his advice and learning what he did. And this book, One Up on Wall Street is, um, it's great for beginners and seasoned investors alike. And he goes into how to, his main thing is invest in what you know. So if you see a, a, a store, there's a company you really like, uh, there's a product you really like. Your girlfriend, for example, Ted mentioned that his girlfriend really likes Elf products. So you go and you look at the stock and you're like, oh, Elf, okay, interesting company. Now what he says, this is maybe one of the most important things is I just wanna pull up this, this uh, couple sentences really quick. He says in the book at the beginning, he says, he doesn't advise you to buy a stock 
just because you've been shopping there or you like the product or whatever. That That's not enough. That's enough to get interested in the company and put it on your radar. But you should never invest in a company before you've done the homework on the company's earnings prospects, financial condition, competitive position, plans for expansion, and so forth. So that's something that kind of gets missed. A lot of people just think, oh, I like the company. I'm going to buy it. Don't do that. That's a way to put it on your radar. Then you look into it. Then you go into the fundamentals and really build the investment thesis around it. And then lastly, the last book is this one, and it's called The Essays of Warren Buffett. And it's written by Lawrence Cunningham. And what it is, is it's basically all of Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway's annual reports, where he gives you all of his information on what he did during the year, what companies, why he's analyzing these companies, why he's buying them. This book summarizes it into into a smaller more easily digestible book and it sections off different areas so if you specifically want to look at uh things like management what what qualities buffett and berkshire look at in their management you can directly go to those chapters so that ties in really well with one up on wall street because when you're looking at these companies and you say oh this is a great product really like this company, then you can go to the essays of Buffett and see, okay, management, take that off. You can build a checklist and really see if it, if it meets all of these uh, criteria. So hope that, uh, that helps. And, and for this new year, yeah, trying to read more and highly suggest, uh, th these are some great books to learn more about investing. Thanks a lot, Mike. One one thing I, I all, never forgot when I was reading that book with, about Peter Lynch, you know, one of the things that he did that was, quite frankly, it's just so simple, it's genius, is he would go to the mall with his his wife and daughter. They'd go shopping on the weekend on Saturday. And so he'd tag along. And while they went and shopped, he would pick a bench in the middle of the mall on the ground floor so he could kind of watch all the way around. You know, it's two floors and look all around. And he would watch the foot traffic and watch where, what stores were the busiest and what stores just had just people flowing in there. And he'd also listen to his daughter and his wife and the products they like, like Mike said. But he'd notice who had the biggest foot traffic. And then he would go and do a deep dive on the fundamentals. So it's a great book. I've got it. And incidentally, if there are any stock nerds uh, in the DFW area, if they ever want to uh, email me, dan at riverasset.com and come by, I've actually got a couple boxes of books from Bill O'Neill. It's not how to make money in stocks, though. It's another, I'll have to go look at the strategy. I got it in the other room. It's something about uh, how to pick stocks or something, but I've got a whole bunch of those uh, brand new, never been used. Um, if anybody wants one, they can certainly uh, have one if they want to stop by the office. Anyway, all right, Don, uh, do you have any other gold nuggets before we wrap up? No, I think we've covered everything. Uh, Dan, you can take us home for the week. All right, folks, listen, again, Happy New Year. And if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor. Just go up to the top right-hand corner, Revere Asset. There's a subscribe button. You can put in your email and your uh, name, and we won't spam you. We won't hassle you. It's up to you to reach out to us. Uh, if you want a complimentary portfolio review or you just want a stock talked about on this uh, program. Uh, you can always email any of us, dan at revereasset.com. 
Don at revereasset.com, Michael, Ted, or Connor at revereasset.com. And you can always, always, always call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. Welcome to 2024, and we'll talk to you next week on Your Money. Because it's not about how much you've made in the markets. It's about how much of that you can keep. Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.